Good morning, everyone. Um, so before we begin, a uh, couple of announcements, not announcements, instructions, if you will. Um, if you, I think we, we, I think the call of the Lord is for his people to be under his word. And the way we are obedient to this is we have to be more, more of an active listener, right? I think a lot of us, because we're used to movies, TV shows and whatnot, we're very passive in our listening and viewing. But maybe perhaps God is calling you to be an active listener. And the way you become an active listener is after the reading of the scripture, because so many, because our, our, our sermons are based on the word, on the text, rather than just closing your Bible or closing the Bible app, I strongly suggest that you have your Bibles open to the passage. Right? Um, last week we had a meeting with the worship team and we could, you know, shoot the uh, Bible verses, relevant Bible verses as we speak while I'm preaching, but I think that's spoon-feeding it to you. I think we have to be more active in our listening. So I encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along as we preach the Word of God. Let's uh, pray and we'll begin. Like the last song that we have, like one of the praise songs that we have sang here this morning, you are the God who moves mountains. And we need that power to move mountains, to move our hearts. Father, your word clearly testifies that we as human beings are not, are naturally adverse to your word. We like being ignorant of your truth. We like to embrace the idea that we are the final determiner of what is good and right. And because we're naturally this way, it is unnatural for us to be under your word. It is unnatural for us to change. And that is why we need your mountain-moving power to come and move us. Move our unbelieving hearts to belief. Move our cold hearts into a heart that is on fire for you. Illuminate the darkness of our souls with the light of your word. So that, Lord, that this church will be a testimony of the reality and the presence of God. All these things, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are back to Genesis. And today we're going to start a long series. I don't know how long it will be. Long series of, of the life of Abraham. Right? We're going to start beginning, I think perhaps it's going to last like six weeks or so. We're going to study the life of Abraham. And Abraham is perhaps one of the most important religious figures in the history of mankind. Because Abraham is, they say, father of the three major religions. The three major religions of the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all point to Abraham as the starting point, as their forefather. This means, what this means is according to 2015, the three major, there are, there are approximately 4.3 billion people who, who either practice Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That means right now 4.3 billion people, or 55% of the world population says Abraham is their, is the founder of their faith. So Abraham is really important, right? And, not only, and we're, we're studying Abraham not only because he's such an influential figure in the history of the world, but we are studying Abraham because it is through the life of Abraham we see the very definition of faith. It is through the life of Abraham we see what biblical faith looks like. 
of us having a proper understanding of biblical ideas is really important because I think so many Christians go around walking through life having the wrong definitions of common words. And because we have the wrong definitions of common words, especially pertaining to faith, we are, we are just kind of wandering through life without getting close to God. One of the very reasons why we're not getting close to God is we don't really know truly what the, what these biblical words mean. For example, every, every sermon the pastor Ujin ever preached here was about the gospel, right? God bless him, right? And Pastor Ujin always says, right? What does he always say? I forget. He says what? I'm crazy about the gospel? That doesn't sound like him. Anyway, so it's entirely of the gospel, right? Gospel. He preaches gospel, 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 gospel. But the question is, we hear the gospel, we hear the word gospel, but do you really know what the gospel means? It's good news, you say. Then what does the good news mean? The most, the, the, the verse in the Bible that tells us the gospel is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right? John 3.16. But in order to understand what this verse means, you got to understand the biblical definition of God. Right? God so loved the world. Who is God? we got to also understand the biblical definition of love. Right? we got to understand the biblical definition of the world. We gotta understand the biblical definition of begotten. We gotta understand this biblical definition of son. Biblical definition of eternal life. Biblical definition of what perishing means. We can say gospel, 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 but if we do not have a right understanding of these words, you don't really understand the gospel. We say we need to have faith, 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 faith. But the question is, do you know what faith means? Do you know what true faith looks like? Right? I think there's a Whitney Houston Murrah Carey song. There will be miracles if you believe. Believe what? Right? Believe what? What what is belief? What is faith? That's what we're going to study through the life of Abraham. What biblical faith looks like. And I'm going to front load my sermon here. According to today's passage... Chapter 11, verse 27, to chapter 12, verse 4. Through Abraham, we can see biblical faith. You can write this down for your small groups, kids. Write this down. By the way, what is faith? What is the definition of faith? That's a really good small group discussion question. Right? Maybe you should start out with an icebreaker. What is faith? But the biblical definition of faith, according to Abraham's life in these verses, is faith is receiving the calling of God that clearly convinces you of his promises. And as you are clearly convinced of his promise, that calls you to leave the world you once knew and to live a new life. That's faith. Receiving the clear call of God that leads to the true conviction of the promises of God. That, lead, that And when you are convicted of the promises of God, you leave your old life behind. That's what faith is. You understand? And, the, and among Jesus' parables, the, the, the parable that perfectly illustrates this definition is a parable of the treasure hidden in the field. Jesus says, 
Jesus says, uh, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, 46, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who discovered that there is a treasure hidden in a field. So he discovered there's a huge treasure that is hidden in a field somewhere. And he's the only one who knows about it. Therefore, what does he do? The man sells everything that he has to buy that field so that he can get that treasure. That's what faith is. Faith is knowing that Jesus Christ is so true and real that you leave everything behind. You sacrifice everything to get Christ. That's the biblical definition of faith. Hearing the clear call of God that convinces you of the promises of God are true so that you will leave your old life behind. That's faith. Do you have faith this morning? Let's talk about what Abraham had to leave behind. Right? Let's talk about Abraham's life. So in order for us to t- talk about Abraham's faith, we've got to tell us what Abraham left behind. So let's talk about Abraham's background. Verse 27, These are the generation of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. By the way, the name Haran comes out a lot this sermon, right? So, all right, Haran. So Abraham's daddy was a guy named Terah. And Terah had three sons, Abraham, Haran, and Nahor, right? Um, who was this guy, Terah? I mean, we don't, we have that much, def- like, like, uh, we don't have that much information about Terah in the Bible. But if you look at secondary religious sources, there are bits and pieces of information about who Terah was. Some Jewish historians say Terah was the high priest of Nimrod. Remember Nimrod? Oh, Bible study question. Who was, who was Nimrod? Who was Nimrod? The mighty hunter. And what is he famous for? Tower of Babel. Nimrod was the president of the Jewish nation when they built the Tower of Babel, right? Not the Jewish nation, nations of the world when they built the Tower of Babel. And they say, some Jewish scholars say, Terah, Abraham's daddy, was the high priest, second in command, the king's hand, right, of, 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 of Nimrod. Others say Nimrod was a idol maker. His job was to make idols, right? And we're going to talk about the type of idol that he worshipped. Anyway, that was Terah, Abraham's daddy. Abraham's daddy was not a Christian, was not a Jew, was not a believer, follower of God. He was not. He was an idolater. Right? And Terah's family, right, was really close. Like so many ancient families during that time, the family wasn't just, not just the family. It was the, it was, the family was a clan. Each family was a clan. Right? And as a clan, each family was, was responsible for the socio-economic status of its members. So if you're a Tara's family, you live together, you work together, your socio-economic identity was based on your family. And Tara's family was really close. So close that they intermarried each other. It's going to get disturbing here. Let's talk about the, peop- the marriage relationship within Tara's family. Who did Abraham marry? Who did Abraham marry? Who's Mrs. Abraham? Sarah. Do you know who Sarah's father was? Sarah's father was Terah. Who was Abraham's dad? Terah. Sarah had a different mother from Abraham. But they say Abraham married his half-sister. 
ew. Not only did Abraham marry his half-sister, his brother Nahor, who did he marry? He married his niece, his brother's daughter, Melika. Right? Melika was Haran's daughter, and Haran's brother, Nahor, married Haran's daughter. So there was inbreeding within Terah's family. And you can, as, you know, as, as soon as that initial disgust wears off, think about why they, they did this, because they were a close clan. They wanted to keep each other, the, the, the clan line pure, I would imagine. So for Abraham, the family was just more than people that he, you know, he spends Thanksgivings with. The family was a social economic identity. Family. Abraham was not only a member of his family, but his family was a, lived in a very prosperous, sophisticated city. Abraham's daddy and Abraham was, was from what we call Ur of the Chaldeans. And Ur of the Chaldeans, I think, is one of the most prosperous cities in, in ancient Mesopotamia. In ancient Mesopotamia is where modern-day Iran and Iraq is located. And in that state of Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldeans were the most prosperous nation, the city in that region. How do we know? There's evidence that in Ur of the Chaldeans, there was a library during Abraham's time. Think about it. This is like four or 5,000 years ago. And people four or 5,000 years ago generally don't know how to read or communicate in, in some form. But people in Ur of the Chaldeans were so sophisticated, they had their own library. So Abraham was not this hillbilly from West Virginia. No one from West Virginia here, right? No offense. I love West Virginia. Was not the hillbillies of, I don't want to say Kentucky, because James is from Kentucky. Hill, hillbillies from this rural area. He's not. He's like a sophisticated urbanite New Yorker. Right? Last time I went to uh, New York with my family during Thanksgiving, and the first place we went to was the Lincoln Center to he, to watch the Nationals, not National Symphony, the New York Philharmonic play, right? So we had to wait like an hour before the sh- before the concert started. So we were in the little cafe area of the na- of the, of the Lincoln Center to 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 watch the National. I'm sorry, to watch the New York Philharmonic play. In the cafe, there were the sophisticated New Yorkers. They weren't the you know Broadway watching every man, right? They were the sophisticated, like, people who, who enjoyed classical music of the New York Philharmonic. They could see education and sophistication oozing out of them. The ladies were sitting right next to us, right? She had a mink coat on, pearl necklace, sipping a, sipping a glass of wine as she's listening to, watching the, reading the, like, the music program. Sophisticated people. That's what Ur of the Chaldeans were like. Sophisticated urbanites. That's Abraham's background. So Abraham was very, was defined by his family, was defined by where he lived, but Abraham also was defined by what he worshipped. And Abraham was a worship, what was an idolater. He worshipped the same God that his daddy worshipped. Who, what was the God that his daddy worshipped? They said, um, the, they said Abraham's daddy worshipped the god Nana, right? Because how do we know? 
is because Ur of the Chaldeans, that city, was the center point of the worshippers of Nana. Who is Nana? Nana is the moon god, right? Nana is they worship the moon, and they and, and to them the moon symbolized, you know, the, it, it, different cycles of life. You know how you know the moon? There's like different shapes of the moon. There's a crescent shape. There's a full like a wolf moon shape. Whatever the shape of the moon changes, and they said that shape of the moon represents you know the cycle of life, right? And so they looked at Nana as a, as a person who controls the cycle of life. Birth, death. And they thought if they worship Nana, Nana is going to make them prosperous, especially farmers and cattle herders. Nana, they believe, was responsible for the, you know, the, was directly responsible for how many cattle a rancher can get. And because cattle was the currency of the time, being rich means being a lot of cattle. And if Nana causes you to be, be rich in cattle, that means Nana, right? was responsible for your well-being. Nana was the prosperity gospel of the time. Nana wants you to be happy and wealthy. Believe in Nana. Worship Nana. And he's going to make you happy and wealthy. Abraham's daddy worshipped Nana. He made Nana idols for a living. And because Abraham was Terah's son, he also worshipped Nana. Point here is, the reason why Abraham worshipped Nana wasn't because he found Nana to be true or not, but simply because he inherited his father's religion. Most people in the world, they practice the same religion as their folks. If you're born a Jew, chances of you worshipping, you know, chances of you becoming, you know, worshipping the Jewish God is pretty high. If you're born Islam, if you're born Muslim, chances are of you worshiping Islam remains high. If you are a Christian, if you were born in the church, chances are you worshiping or seemingly worship Jesus is seemingly a natural thing. Like most people inherit their religion. But what we will see from Abraham's life is truth, faith, is never an inherited faith. True faith is, you can never inherit true faith. True faith comes to an individual, personally, directly. God calls individual by name. When you hear the voice of God calling your name, that's how faith is born. Not through inheriting faith from your parents. And this is very important because there are a lot of us here who was going to SPC for like, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Ask some of them, and they said, how long have you been going to SPC? And some of them said, I've been going to SPC since I was two. But just because you were raised in SPC, it doesn't mean that you have true faith. Right? Just because you went through SPC's youth group, it doesn't mean that you have true faith. The only way that you have true faith is for God to call you individually. Parents, that's the same thing for our, for our kids as well. Just because you raise your kids, that we raise our kids in SPC, it does not mean that they will have true faith. Just because they were baptized here, it doesn't mean that they have true faith. True faith comes individually as God calls the person. Never inherited. The thing that most Christians have to address right now is this. Is your faith true faith 
or is it inherited religion? How do you know whether your faith is true or how do you know your faith is just inherited religion? The difference is life. Does your faith, does your purporting belief in God lead you to life, to holiness? Or is this something that you do once a week that has no bearing on the rest of your life? Is it inherited religion or true faith? So this was Abraham's background. Idol-worshipping, sophisticated, inbreeding family God. And this is all that he knew. For 75 years of his life, this is all he knew. This is what it was. If you were to ask Abraham, Abraham, what's your life about? Abraham will say, well, my life is about being close to my family, making my family prosper, making my city prosper, making Nana happy. If you were to ask Abraham, what is the narrative of your life? He says, that is what my life is. is. Making my family prosper, making my city prosper, making Nana happy. That was his narrative. That's the world that he knew for 75 years. God could have just left him alone and and, and, and make him live in that illusion. But God doesn't do that, does he? What does he do? Chapter 12, verse 1. He calls Abraham. And what is the first thing that God calls, God calls Abraham to do? Verse 12, chapter 1, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God calls it, God comes to Abraham personally and he calls him. And the first thing that God calls Abraham to do is to what? Is to leave. Leave his country. Ur of the Chaldeans. Leave your kindred. Leave his clan. Leave his father's house. Leave his family. God is calling Abraham to leave the world he knows. To go where? To go to the land God will, God will show him. God doesn't give Abraham specific directions. God doesn't say, this is what's going to happen. This is where you're going. This is why you're going. He leaves out the specific directions. He just says, leave. Leave the world you think you know. And follow me. That is the fundamental, essential element of faith. Leaving the world you think you know. Leaving the values you think are true. Leaving the purpose in which you, you orchestrated everything in your life. To leave all these things to follow God. Everyone in the Bible left. Did you know that? Everyone left. There's no one who stayed. Let's talk about Jesus. Philippians 2. Jesus was equal to God. But he, he did not consider equality of God to be grasped. He came, became man, born of a, he became a man, born of, in a form of a servant. To be, to, to be obedient, to be obedient to death. Philippians chapter 2 talks about Jesus leaving heaven. Jesus leaving his union with the Father. Jesus 
left. Why? For the glory of the Father and for the love of His people. Right? Look, I had dinner with an old, old friend a couple, of days, a couple of days ago. And we're talking about life. And I told him, I really just want to be a full-time pastor. I don't care about the lawyer thing. I don't care about anything. I just want to be a full-time pastor. And they asked me, you never said that before. You were always so satisfied in being a lawyer and like, you know, serving, but you were never really satisfied. You never wanted to be a full-time pastor before. What changed? And I said, the reason I want to be a full-time pastor is because I simply love my people. You're the reason why I want to go full-time. It isn't because I think being a pastor is a more holier, it's more holy profession. It's none of that. It's not because I think if I become a full-time pastor, God's going to reward me. It's none of that. It's simply because I love you and I want to be, I'm going to devote my life to you. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I hope it will. The reason why I want to give my life to this ministry is because of you as a people. And that's what Jesus has come. That's what Jesus left. To have you, to get you, to save you. Jesus left. Not only Jesus, everyone left. Jacob left. Right? Well, Joseph left. All the disciples left their lives as fishermen to follow Christ. The apostle Paul left his life as a Pharisee to follow Christ. Everyone, who's anyone, leaves. Faith is about leaving the world that you once knew. Sometimes that involves leaving physically. They're, they're, Places and time where God like leaves you, sends you out geographically. But not only geographically, but some people he, he moves geographically. But to all the Christians, God has called us to leave the values of the world that we thought we once knew. Leave it. Leave sin. What is salvation? Salvation is leaving the life of sin and following the life of righteousness. That's what faith is. What salvation is, right? Leaving the life of sin and following the road of righteousness. Leaving. Have you left? What is a narrative in your mind? What is a narrative that you think your life ought to be? Buying a house here? Having a nice secure job here? Finding the love of your life here? Raising successful Ivy League kids here? Is that the narrative of your life? And there's nothing wrong with any of these things. But if that is what you think life is about, God is calling you to leave it. He wants to leave for you to leave the narrative of your life and to embrace Him. Have you left your old ideas about sex? Have you left your old ideas about money? Have you left your old ideas about what your job is supposed to be? Have you left your attitude towards sin, addiction? Have you left? Or are you, are you staying? You can be, you can do religious things. You can come here and do Jesus' things. 
But if you have not, if you're not leaving these areas of life, if you're not leaving the old ways, perhaps it is because you have inherited inherited religion and not true faith. Question is, how did Abraham leave? Right? That's the that's the only thing that Abraham this this, this condition was the only life that Abraham knew. What caused Abraham to leave? You know what did it? He heard the calling of God. And the call and he heard the promises of God. And to, to Abraham, the promises of God was true, were true. What was verse two, right? Chapter twelve, verse two. God tells Abraham, and I will make your make you I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of earth shall be shall, of the earth shall be blessed. God gives Abraham a promise. What are some of the things that God promised? Number one, God promised Abraham a great personal blessing. God will make Abraham's name great. What does that mean? It will mean God will, God will make Abraham into a great person. He will be a great person economically. He will be a great person spiritually. He will be a great person historically. God promised Abraham greatness. And God says he will make Abraham a father of a great nation. Which means through Abraham a mighty nation will be born. And not only that, God promised Abraham to be Abraham's protector. Whoever curses Abraham, God himself will curse. Whoever blesses Abraham, God will bless. God says, Abraham, Abraham, from this point on, I will be your protector. I will make you a great person. I will make you a father of a great nation. I will be your personal protector. That's Abraham's blessing. That's God's blessing to Abraham in a personal way. God not only promises Abraham a personal blessing, God promises Abraham, God promised Abraham the whole world will be blessed through you. Not only will I bless you personally, because of you the whole world will be blessed. Abraham believed. Isn't that interesting though? It doesn't make any sense, right? For when God called Abraham to do this, Right? It doesn't make any sense for Abraham, if you think of it logically. Right? God told Moses, hey Moses, go to Egypt. What did Moses say? Uh, you know, maybe not. I don't have eloquence. I'm a weak man. Maybe it's not me. When God told Moses to go, Moses' response was, uh, no, not me, not yet. But Abraham, Abraham believed. But you see, it won't make any sense for Abraham to believe in the promises of God. Why? Because Sarah, his wife, was barren. Right? That's what verse 31 says, right? Now Sarah was barren and she had no child. When the Bible mentions, the, expresses the same thing twice, it means like it was really a bad condition. So when the Bible in verse 30 says, now Sarah was barren, the definition of barren has having no children, and then it explains again she had no child. It's a double expression of her condition. This What this means was, she was really barren. There's no possibility of the baby coming out from her at all. That's what verse 30 means. Think about it. God told Abraham, I will make your name great. I will make your father of a great nation. Logically, it doesn't make sense. 
Because his wife, the love of his life, is barren. Does Abraham ask, did Abraham say, oh, but God, Sarah's, Sarah's barren, how are you going to do He doesn't ask any questions. Abraham simply packs up his bag and leaves. How can that be? Why, how could he leave like that without any question? He could leave like that because Abraham received the effectual call of God. The effectual call of God means the Holy Spirit coming into a person's life and the Holy Spirit convicts the person that the promises of God is absolutely real and true. When Abraham heard God's promise to him, I don't know why, but to him, it made perfect sense. To him, what God promised will happen. When, when God called Abraham, what God was telling Abraham, in Abraham's mind, was greater than anything that he knew before. Because he was so personally persuaded of these promises, he could leave. Because these promises were so real to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham could leave. Abraham left not because he had great faith by himself. Abraham left because God gave him the great faith. The grace of God is this. The grace of God, the greatest grace blessings of God is making you believe his promises, his word is true. It's not making you rich. It's not giving you a job. It's not sending your kids to the Ivy Leagues. The great promises of the great blessings of God is making you believe that everything in his word is true. Especially the truth about Jesus Christ. God calls us to leave our sins, the world we knew. But the only way that we will leave it is when we become sure of the promises that God has for us in Jesus Christ. God told Abraham, Abraham, the world will be, you will be a father of a great nation. You know what that means? It means Abraham one day, it is, the, re, the way that Abraham became a father of a great nation is, it is through his lineage that Jesus Christ was born. That Jesus Christ came into the world. And after Jesus Christ came into the world, the kingdom of God is established here. And after Jesus came, many people come to faith in the real God through Jesus Christ. So when God promised Abraham, you will be a father of a great nation, I think that he is referring to, it is through Abraham, the kingdom of God will be born in this world. Because Jesus Christ will be born through him. If you are a true child of God, if you are truly born again, if you are truly saved, if you are truly a citizen of the kingdom of God, it is because Jesus Christ was born through the lineage of Abraham. The Jews, the Pharisees, the Jews will believe Abraham was a great, was a father of the great nation because that nation they think is the nation of Israel. No, it isn't. The nation that God promised Abraham is the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. The Pharisees in John chapter 8 told Jesus that we are the descendants of Abraham. Right? Because we're Jews, because we're Pharisees, we are, Abraham is our ancestor. Jesus says, no, no, he's not. Even though you may share that, you may, even though you can physically trace your ancestry back to Abraham, you are not Abraham's descendants. Because if you were Abraham's descendants, you would receive me. Jesus is saying, 
The way you know that you're Abraham's true descendant is if you truly recognize Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. To receive Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. When you truly receive that, that makes you a descendant of Abraham. What is the job of the Holy Spirit? The job of the Holy Spirit is coming into your life and to make you believe, to personally convict you that Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, and the life. Is Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life? What he says about sin, do you agree with him? What he says about life, do you agree with him? What he says about sex, do you agree with him? What he says about money, do you agree with him? What he says about your eternal destiny, do you personally agree with him? With conviction, do you believe? Do you, do you, do you believe enough to trust everything in your life to him? I'm not asking you whether you agree intellectually that he is true. Personally, by the way you make your decisions in life, do, you, do, do, do they show that you are in agreement with Jesus? If you are not in agreement with Him the way, by the way you live your life, you do not have true faith. You understand? Maybe the reason why you're not leaving the world, your world behind it's because you're not personally convicted that Jesus Christ is the true, the way, and the life. But when Jesus Christ is the true, the way, and the life, the most natural thing to do is to leave the old standards. And the biggest example I can give you is one of my best friends in the whole wide world. I love that guy. It's none of you, right? I love you, but... You know, we just have to work in our relationship to be your, to, for us to be best friends, right? Let's work on that this year. One of my best friends in the whole wide world, young guy, like, you know, 10 years, 20, 12 years younger than me. And before he was a Christian, he was a very charismatic guy. Girls loved him, right? And so he had a certain standard of what girls that he liked. And if you look at his old girlfriend, they all look the same, right? <laughs> because he has a certain image of what a girl, like, you know, like, and like, you know, you know, you know the girl, they all have like long, straight black, like straight hair, flowing hair, like so many Korean guys like, right? They're sophisticated yet cute, right? That's all the Korean guys love that, right? Sophisticated yet cute, right? And they go, eh, and they, they, they all, they're cutesy and stuff, right? And this guy loves that type and all the girlfriends that he ever dated, exactly like that type. But then he found Christ, or Christ found him. And the way you know that he's saved is his standard of what he looks in a woman totally changed. He told me in my last visit to Korea, I'm in love. I go, really? And tell me what, tell me what she's like. And he says, she's handicapped. She can't walk straight. But he said, when I look at her, oh, my heart. My heart. And I go, why? Oh, because she loves the Lord. She loves the Lord so much. You see what's happening? The playboy who had certain ideas about women, God totally transformed him to fall in love with a different standard. You know? 
That's how you, that's what it means to leave the world behind. I know guys, like, this, they, they had sex before Christ, after, after finding Christ, having sex with a girlfriend, they don't want to do it anymore. Not because they become like puritanical, but because they agree with Christ. I know guys whose relationship with money has flipped. Everything has flipped. Because they start to see Jesus Christ as the truth, the way, and the life. That's the only way that you leave, you know. That's the only way you leave your old life, is when His glory becomes so bright in your life. It is the most natural thing for you to leave. We don't leave because we don't see His glory. How do you see His glory? How do you see that He is the way, the truth, and the life? You go to His Word. The Holy Spirit reveals the glory of Christ through His Word. That's why the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John. He says, I am writing this Gospel of John. In John, John chapter 20, John says, I am writing, I am writing these things to you. So that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ. And by believing in him, you will be saved. John says, the reason I wrote the Gospel of John is that through these words, you will come to faith in Jesus Christ. The way you see the glory of God that causes you to leave your old life is to see the revealed Christ through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about applications. Application number one. God has called you to leave sinful, your sinful life. Every day he's calling you to leave it. Every day there's temptations to stay in sin. Every day there's a call to leave it. It's true. Leave your addictions. Leave your impurities. Leave your fighting. Leave your selfishness. Leave your self-pity. Leave. But the way you lead, like I said before, is to embrace the glory of Christ every day through his revealed will. God's calling you to leave. What did Jesus Christ say? Jesus Christ says, whoever wants to be my disciple must carry his cross and follow me. That's what Jesus says, right? What is he saying? He's saying, every day, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to carry your cross and follow me. What is carrying the cross mean? Self-denial. Denial of your old values, denial of your old purposes, denial denial of your old standards. Deny those things, put the death to those things and follow Him. Every day. That's what Jesus' command to His disciples. His command for you and me is to carry our crosses in self-denial, putting death to our old ways and follow Him. But the way you do that is so that you, when, the way you do that is you need to see His glory every day through His Word. And that is why I'm on my treadmill Yelling at my ceiling to believe in God. Because if you come to come into my house at one o'clock in the morning, you'll see me screaming. And the reason I scream in the basement at one o'clock in the morning is so that I won't wake my kids up. Right? That's when I pray, one in the morning in my treadmill, preaching to the ceilings, my mustard colored ceiling, preaching to my ceiling to believe in Jesus Christ. Because that's the way I gotta do that so that I can leave my sinful ways to embrace him. You gotta leave. Second application. When you receive the calling of God, 
when you receive the calling of God, you cannot help but to share the truth with other people. When God came to Abraham, right? Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, they say it happens before verse 31 of chapter 11. Which means God came to, in verse, in verse 31 in chapter 11, it says, Terah took his kids and they moved from Ur of the Chaldeans towards Canaan, the promised land of God. Why did he do that? Why did this guy who made idols for a living decide to leave his hometown and go towards this promised land that he did not know? They say it is because perhaps Abraham convinced him to do so. Abraham received the call of God. And when he did, he cannot help but to share with his dad. Dad, we gotta go. Dad, we gotta go. And his dad might, might, might I would imagine, say, no more. You crazy? But dad, we gotta go. He told his dad, he, they got to go to Canaan, to where God showed him. And for, I don't know what happened, God convicted Terah, so Terah decided to move all the family members to Canaan. Because Abraham told him to do so. When you receive the calling of God, it is not just for your sake that you're receiving the calling. You're receiving the calling so that you can tell others to leave and follow Christ. That's your calling. Whether it is a place of work, whether it is a place of family members, whatever it is, if you receive the genuine calling of God, you tell God, you tell those of those people of God. And whether they come or not, it doesn't matter as much as you telling them, sharing with them who God is. I'm going to embarrass Dr. J two weeks in a row, and that's exactly what Dr. J does. He cannot help but talk about God with his clients. Dr. J works a long hour. You know why Dr. J works long hours? Because he cannot help but to tell other people about God. That's sharing his, that's sharing his calling with other people. Are you sharing your calling with other people? Or are you hiding it? The call is to share. You need to share. Let's pray.